Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Six Pixels Under podcast. I am NS, your host. This is episode 34. And on this week's podcast, we will talk about, of course, the big news about the WoW Classic launch date. That's exciting. We'll talk a bit about uh, the news that uh, Nintendo Switch has surpassed total sales for uh, PlayStation 4 in Japan. Interesting. We'll talk about, of course, the big drama about the whole Epic Store and... You know, publishers pulling their game and apparently not being notified that there was a sale in the first place or how it was supposed to be structured. One of those games being Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines uh, 2, and I believe the other one was Borderlands 3. So some big profile games, if I remember correctly. Um, and then also we'll talk a bit about uh, a couple other interesting topics before getting to the From the Vault section uh, this week, which I promised you guys from last week uh, that I would do. and. Uh, yeah, so I think you guys will like that episode or that segment, I guess I should say, of From the Vault. I picked one that's not incredibly too old, but uh, definitely is one that certainly got forgotten. I mean, I, I almost forgot about it, and I was looking at a list of games and thinking of which one to host um, on the From the Vault section, which, if you guys remember, is just a section where uh, we talk about a classic game. And maybe its impact or interesting things about it, particular uh, notable things about it, maybe even innovative things about it. Uh, what else do I have to cover at the top? Oh, speaking of which, I saw in chat some mention of um, the uh, Detective Pikachu movie. I went and saw it uh, recently. In fact, I think two days ago with my girlfriend and uh, I enjoyed it. I definitely saw a lot of nice little nostalgic kind of, uh, I guess you would say, Easter eggs. You know, you saw people in the same costumes and certain little, like, uh, tropes were common a lot of the time. Uh, some decent humor. It wasn't overly cheesy or anything like that. Obviously, the the plot itself was kind of expected. I mean, it's it was pretty typical. The writing was... The writing remembered... Or, sorry, the dialogue reminded me of, like, the, the anime. Like, whenever you watch, like, the anime as a kid. Uh, it it really reminded me of that because it's just like it's it's obviously written for kids. Um, but that being said, I still enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was funny, and uh, I enjoyed doing that more than I enjoyed reading about some of the drama uh, in this week's news. Before we get into the drama too much, uh, let's just talk about the news that, according to Mitsu, uh, it's official that in Japan. The Nintendo Switch, <laughs> whoops, translate that, has uh, outsold the PS4 in overall sales. Now, uh, here, here we go. Uh, where is the Nintendo Switch? Oh, there you go. Here's the source, according to Mitsu. Nintendo Switch has sold 83,000 hard estimated sales, I believe. I wonder what that, what that means by total. The numbers look a little bit... Obviously, the numbers are totally... I would ignore them. It's probably totally wrong. <laughs> I don't even know what currency I'm looking at. Or is this just a, an amount of copies? Point being, um, we see that the Switch number is bigger than the PS4. So if that means it, then we can trust this source. It looks like, and, and Famitsu, from what I 
remember is pretty pretty reputable. I don't think they would just put this out there. But um yeah, it's 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 interesting for me because I could have swore just a couple of years ago you were having people say, well, console games are coming to an end, PCs taking over, and they said it almost matter of fact, and then it kind of reminded me of what people said about arcades and how arcades were going to die out and and then you talk about, you know, a lot of arcades still being quite prominent and i don't mean arcades in the sense of like physical arcade those have absolutely died unfortunately um even though they're awesome uh and one of my favorite places to go by the way but i meant arcades as in like arcade cabinets are still around of course arcades in terms of um xbox arcade uh i think even playstation has an arcade many different platforms have arcades and obviously arcade or arcade style of games is is alive and well is what I really mean to say. But Nintendo Switch to me is kind of like, well, maybe uh, the LAN party isn't dead. Kind of what I think about it, I guess. No, I know I don't know anybody around me as an Xbox who's willing to come over and link it up for a LAN party or something. But I know people with Nintendo Switches and I know people uh, who travel with their Nintendo Switch and who go to conventions with their Switch and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's um, it's bringing back the console to like the handheld and, and merging them together almost as if that's the maybe one of the best ways to keep it alive or maybe just another way as uh, typical from Nintendo who, you know, have their way of doing things. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Japan is really big on handhelds, and, and that's actually a really good point. That's, that, that's a really good point because they probably would sell uh, better there than they would maybe other uh, countries. It's just interesting to see, I guess. Um, I wonder, you, you think of like MMOs and LAN, and they almost seem like they run, they run like opposite from each other. And I think that that's true in some cases, but I think that they're also based on a lot of the same values. Social interaction. <laughs> uh, having people interact with each other and making that like a key part of your, uh, your entertainment experience in the case of the Switch or game experience in the case of like an MMO. Yeah, no, I, I've I've enjoyed my Switch so far card. I will say that I'm eager for some bigger hitters to come out, like maybe the next Pokemon game. Uh, that would be cool. Because they, they came out with a Pokemon game, and they they allowed it to be co-op. Which is like, cool, right? You think that's cool. But the co-op is literally just cloning you and your Pokemon. So in, in theory, it sounds cool, but then when you're playing it, you're just beating up on one dude with two Pokemon. It's just like... Who designed this? Like, I, I don't, I don't know what it is about Nintendo with being like really horrible at designing multiplayer experiences, uh, oftentimes. But yeah, that that co-op experience is like, what are you guys thinking? Like, who's gonna play this? It's too easy. There's there's no real balancing, you know. Um, but also Persona coming out on the Switch would be cool. That'd be another worthwhile purchase. I would say with MMOs, it's usually the only aspect that holds up. <laughs> that doesn't really surprise me. Space is a real premium in Japan, and, and public transportation is huge there. Good point. 
a good point. Not everybody even has the space to have a uh, a computer, right? All right, so let's get into the drama part now. Um, there's been a uh, article published on Kotaku regarding the recent publisher drama, specifically with Epic Store. Uh, during you know, supposedly there was going to be some big sale where things were supposed to be an additional ten dollars off overall, but then mysteriously. Like a couple games, and I think it was two in particular, were pulled from the store, the Epic Store, and it was done kind of like hush hush, and it caught people kind of off guard. Um, the the big hitters here are, are actually Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines, as I mentioned at the top, and even uh, I saw mention of uh, Borderlands Three as well were pulled from the shop. Apparently, Epic had uh, done this sale without really notifying either party. And this came to light, actually, um, when I was reading through the uh, comments of uh, the uh, article itself. Somebody said something along the lines of, at first, Paradox said that they were not aware of the sale, uh, the sale mechanism, right? And, and, and other publishers also had uh, uh, said that as well. And then apparently a source came out from the uh, Epic employee himself where it stated that he says... And this was translated, by the way. But it says, I was sure that Paradox were well aware, sorry, were <laughs> aware of the cell mechanism. After a little investigation, it turned out that I was wrong. <laughs> that does not sound good. So uh, not everybody who was involved in the platform itself, or, or, you know, publisher agreement, whatever you want to call it, they weren't even aware of the cell. Uh, I don't know. That that has me a little bit worried. And then it also meant they also mentioned that um, current promotions apply to all releases of the store, uh, which is kind of like strange to think about because people were doing the math and kind of crunching it, and they're thinking like, okay, well, th- like here's an example. Let's say my game costs fifty dollars, and on the Epic Store it now costs forty dollars. Well, what if on that forty dollars there's an additional ten dollar cut from the revenue? So now you're talking about what if they do a sale before the game comes out to where people are potentially buying the game from 50 to 75% discounts before they even get, you know, so the the uh, developer in this case is giving up like half of their revenue, <laughs> 25% to half of their revenue, essentially because they weren't aware of a particular sale. Um, and, and that's because, think about it, what's the use of... Um, reordering when you could just wait until it goes on sale why not just wait until epic does one of these sales and then buy it in that case right well epic actually didn't uh uh, or epic said that they mentioned it but then the employee himself said that he was not aware or sorry rather he was uh, corrected that after a little bit of investigation apparently um people weren't completely aware of the mechanism of the sale mechanism so, yeah, th- that's what news came out uh, initially with that. Well, I mean, this was a sale, you know, this was kind of like they should have known about this. But the reason why it caught people kind of off guard was that it was kind it happened so fast. And whenever someone pulls a product like that right away, it's typically because of a dispute. It's not because somebody's like agreeing with it and they're just like, yeah, you know what? I'm OK with that. I think that's OK to have this uh, s- sale right now. Obviously, there was some disagreement, and the speed at which it was brought down makes me think that they dropped the hammer quick, and they were like, hey, we're not, we're not going to be involved in this, period. 
and then maybe Epic was just like not worth the fight. So then drop, let them drop from the store, you know, and then maybe have further negotiations. Or I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll have to see, <laughs> right? It's uh, interesting to watch unfold, though. Yeah, no, the, there's been um, a whole rabbit hole of news. Typ uh, as typical in these threads, if you go to the comments, especially on like the Reddit threads, you can find a lot of good information, surprisingly, uh, because people will kind of keep updating the thread as it goes on. I think there might be an update here at the bottom as well. <clears throat> He was just the uh, sorry, the writer was just offering some uh, commentary. Uh, he was saying that, uh, yes, Steam has problems and such, but this comes down, you know, this being the uh, publishers pulling their game from the Epic store. But he said this comes on top of uh, Epic's bare bone feature set, other assorted issues, unpopular penchant for snapping up exclusives. He should also add uh, no reviews, um, and things of that sort. At least it's no force reviews. So I guess you can disable reviews if you want to. Um, there's obvious reasons why Epic Games, uh, Epic Store as a platform is inferior to competition, but there's also a lot of good, uh, arguments in regards to just the way that they handle or conduct their business. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, um, how, you know, 2019, 2020 is looking like the battle of, uh, publishers. It's the war of the publishers <laughs> and, and now they're getting their own platform. And they're trying to make war with that as well. And uh, I, you know, at first I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care as much, I guess, about the competition because I didn't think it would involve publisher relationships so closely. But now we're seeing like the case of Epic and even just Origin and Ubisoft and their, these different platforms that it's becoming more and more about the money. So they want to have as much of that as they can. So they want control of the platform themselves. And um, they're willing to essentially give an inferior product in order to do that. And I think that's kind of what pisses and, and irks many, you know, gamers off. As, uh, you know, I should say the PC version, uh, especially the PC audience, I should say, uh, especially, is it's because you're not only coming in and, and gobbling up these exclusives, but you're, you're putting them on essentially an inferior product. And if there's one thing about the PC Master Race, if they could willingly get a better graphics card, they wouldn't get the cheaper graphics card, if that makes sense, right? If if money wasn't an issue for any of us, and we could get a get you know a 1080 Ti, why would we get the 980 Ti? Like most people are going to choose the 1080 Ti, and in this you know case to bring in the analogy, Epic Store compared to Valve at this point with uh, Steam is kind of like that comparison, not quite there yet. I think competition is good. But my initial view of competition is good has kind of changed a little bit just because it's it's not really competition between developers, which is what I personally would like. Uh, competition between developers makes it to where the next developer, the next game is trying to be bolder, better, maybe improve on a certain genre, maybe, you know, take inspiration from another game. It's about competing in the space of art, right? Artistic value. If I know I'm getting a little bit esoteric, but. It's competing in that fashion. With the whole, you know, Epic Store and all these different platform wars, it, it's more so battling amongst the uh, publishers. And the problem with that is that consumers, us in this case, right, the gamers, 
and then the uh, developers themselves unfortunately uh, they get hurt in the crossfire and the perfect example of this is review bombing review bombing has been primarily a weapon used against these you know publishers platforms the problem with it is that they're review bombing the developers who in some cases have no say over where their game gets played if they accepted a contract or a deal to be published in order to be funded to put out their game in order for it to come out right if they didn't have the funding otherwise they might have you know kind of gotten into an agreement where they don't own the ip that they created themselves which means that this other you know publisher can launch it on their platform uh, or another platform of their choice because of the money, because of the uh, commerce, right? Because of the business, it makes sense for them. And sometimes in, in developers' cases, and we've proven this time and time again, guys, pro proven this time and time again, that in many cases, developers have no say in where their game gets played and what platform it gets played on. So this is uh, becoming more uh, increasingly uh, interesting to watch unfold, but also grim dark, I should say. Because it's going to get a little bit darker, I think, before the light comes in this particular issue. And I think that, uh, as I said, again, competition is always good because you want other platforms to be able to offer unique things. I mean, we talk about the different platforms in general. You look at Valve and uh, Steam and uh, we talk about X-Fire from the old days and IRC and now we have Discord and all the all these different... Remember all the different uh, uh, raid calls and Trillos and TeamSpeak? Mumble, um, what am I? What am I missing? Lead speak. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a couple different names. <laughs> Point being is, um, the that happened. All those different platforms, those vocal platforms, th those happened, and um, only the, essentially like the best remained. And and you might ask, well, why is Discord around? Discord was the new kid on the block who kind of took the cool ideas from IRC and was like, hmm. Maybe we could do that with TeamSpeak, what TeamSpeak has, <clears throat> and create these servers and the ability to have bots and, and all these different things like that and Ventrilo and etc. So you, it, it learned from its predecessors, I guess I should say. And um, I'm, I don't really know how developers in the future are going to necessarily learn from this because sometimes if you want to put out something that you spent four to five years working on and you don't have the means... Sometimes you kind of have to make a deal with the devil. And I don't mean to say that getting involved with a publisher period or an investor period means you're making a deal with the devil. But, you know, I, I've brought this up before, and this is to help, you know, in my opinion, really just give these uh, developers in these situations a little bit of empathy. And it's that, think about it. You're at the finish line. You want to launch this game that you spent years and years working on, maybe even years before that, maybe a childhood dream. You know, whatever the case may be, you spent years and and so much of your time and then all of a sudden you get to the finish line and you're like man we don't even have a publisher we can't even launch this game we don't have enough money we can't afford to go on this platform or whatever else right then you're like well man we should get involved with a publisher then. Uh, or an investor and then you think about and you weigh the pros and cons right and there there are pros and there are cons but now there are extra cons because now you don't even know if like maybe you enter the publisher relationship and and they do this work for you but then they decide, well, actually, we're going to launch it on the platform. So now they're affecting your business. They're affecting your uh, uh, profit and also getting you tied up into this whole dramatic scenario where now people are going to review bomb you and your other games, which are otherwise great games. They're not even review bombing them because of the quality of the game. They're just review bombing because they disagree. Anyway, uh, it's, it's 
There's a lot that goes into it, but I guess that's my best way. You've got an amazing story about those uh, Discord bots. You've got to tell me about that. Discord bots as in spies and Eve or something like that. <laughs> Speaking of Vampire the Masquerade bloodlines, by the way, guys, apparently there is another Vampire the Masquerade uh, role-playing game in development. Hey, thanks. From the creators of the game Council, um, there is yeah, another Vampire the Masquerade game. Apparently, though, it's going to be more about, it says, uh, full of occult plots, uh, conspiracies, secret organizations. It's Vampire the Masquerade without the fangs. So it's essentially the, the, the universe. Um, actually, wait, it says, company recent acquisition of Werewolf. Okay, so I didn't know that they acqu acquired Werewolf. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I, I sidetracked myself. No other real news about it other than that. There's no gameplay footage. There's no details about what it entails. Uh, obviously, other than it's not going to be entirely about vampires. But it's just, I'm, I'm happy to see more uh, RPGs being done in bold and, and I would say, you know, risque universe. Tired of the same old, same old dry fantasy. I think it's interesting to get involved with the vampires, get involved with, you know, zombie RPGs again. And actually, you know what? People are probably tired of that as well. <laughs> with the recent Fallout, you know, 76 stuff. People are probably tired of that as well. So actually, I'll take that back. <laughs> uh, what do I have here? Oh, no, I, I already covered that. All right, so let me go ahead and get to the uh, from the vault segment of the podcast. I wanted to highlight an MMO in particular, one that's certainly lesser known, one that doesn't get quite the recognition that maybe it deserves, and one that hails from the uh, Sweden or the country of Sweden. So, if you guys have ever heard, let me let me get my titles fixed. If you have heard of this game, I'm going to be greatly surprised. It was a massive multiplayer online game developed by Code Club AB in Sweden. Development started in 2003 by friends Rolf Johnson, if I'm saying his name anyway, correctly, and then Marcus Persson, and it was released for personal computers via Java. Uh, you know, I, I guess it uses like a browser-based Java uh, platform. In 2006, so this game came out in 2006. It had three years of development. Um, it's a player world of over 133 skills. You can basically create and terraform anything in the world, uh, dig things. You can raise terrain. You can lower it. You can flatten it. You can sculpt things. You can construct buildings, ships. You, you, you think it. Uh, there's a variety of legendary creatures and monsters that you can battle. There's thousands of items that you can craft because the craziest thing about uh, Warm Online, by the way, is that everything in the game but the natural environment itself is created by the players. And every action in the game is affected by one or more skills. So the cool thing about uh, Warm Online is that everything in the game is crafted because everything is, is part of an ecosystem. So I have a couple gameplay clips that I was going to show you guys here. That was a PvP clip. And this was actually a really cool clip that I'm going to go ahead and put on a faster speed here. 
But this was showcasing some of the ability to craft in the game. And I'm going to put this on two times speed. So Worm Online, as I said, came out in 2006. It's a sandbox, uh, you know, open world RPG. Basically, I think of it as like Ultima Online in, in the sense that it has uh, individual servers or shards, if you will. Um, and new ones are popping up, at least back when more people were playing it. New ones would pop up all the time. Uh, recently, they, however, had a uh, free-to-play launch on um, Steam. And that was called or or labeled Worm Unlimited. Link that here. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so it's showing the different levels of progression of crafting here. For for those who aren't watching um, live or aren't watching the video, it's showing how the guys taking the detail in this video titled Framing Up the Workshop to go through and literally just take the time to do piece by piece frame job so he can put together his workshop. Unfortunately, it doesn't show the entire uh, completed uh, work, but this is just like a, a fraction of the kind of building that you can do in Worm. Let's play the little trailer here. I wanted to talk about this game in particular because it's it's one of those where it it's almost a victim of being too ambitious. And what I mean by that is that we we talk about this a couple of times in in the Death of a Game series. Uh, games like Shadowbane are perfect examples where people have this big grand vision, but they don't exactly have the means of getting it accomplished. So when they do get it accomplished, it almost always has to give up or sacrifice in some way, shape, or form. And as you guys have probably already guessed from watching the gameplay, and a little bit of gameplay in the trailer footage here, is that the uh, the game isn't the best looking game. Uh, it doesn't have the best animations. Combat isn't necessarily a big focus in the game. It's more about building, creating, living in the world, shaping the world. And that's that's a big part of the, the game. And I, I like to talk about uh, games like Worm simply because they're a game where instead of creating massive amounts of developer-made content, raids and dungeons and big quest lines and all this different stuff, instead of focusing on stuff like that, what they instead do is truly focus on the aspect of giving you a sandbox. And I'm not just saying a sandbox as, as in everyone says everything is a sandbox these days. If it isn't just free for, or if it isn't just a theme park, everyone thinks it's a sandbox. No, Worm Unlimited, or Worm Online, I should say, the Unlimited as a you know play version. But uh, Worm Online is a true sandbox. You can change like the level of the ground. You can you can build on multiple different platforms. You can build. In fact, I have a handy, cool little video for you guys to watch here that I found on YouTube randomly. <laughs> it's a top ten video. Talking about some of the craziest, craziest things, things you can do in Worm. You can do in Worm Online. Let's go ahead and put this on 1.5 speed. In the realm of MMOs, Worm has always stood out for its quirky charm and deep gameplay. It has never been one to conform to what other MMOs were doing. Thus, you will find a lot of weird and wonderful hidden features and things that you can I'm do in agreement, that you would just never see in other MMOs. 
Today, uh, countdown for those, to sorry, I should just world. read people's comments out loud <laughs> for those who listen who to me SoundCloud. But Limpaw said, man, a game like this looking actually 10, good would be pretty dope, and I'm in total agreement. Lots of MMOs have player housing, but usually it's quite restricted on Look at that, you can live on a damn mountain. Look at the level of terraforming in this game, guys. That's insane. It's important we talk about games that are oftentimes forgotten like Worm just because of things like there's so much innovative that's added because of the ability to allow you to Although truly shape your world. Because you can build an island. I mean, this is crazy. And this game is still playable today. Unfortunately, the player count isn't uh, so great. So if you're expecting a big player um, population, that's probably not going to happen. I will say, though, I, I, I figured I'd mention this one as well because I have a desire to play it. I never... <laughs> what? Some animals, such as World of Warcraft, allow you to also... Can you really do that? That's that's pretty funny. Corpses? Annoy your neighbors by catapulting dead cows what? The place. Or if you're on the PvP side, why not break down a fort with the... Is this stuff really in the game? This is crazy. I can't even make this up. Pretty much every item has its own 3D model that can be set on the ground or even placed on a table. This includes items... A game like this would be perfect for a roleplay community. And, even and I, I mean, obviously, that's probably the only community left playing the game, unfortunately. Probably the roleplay community. Oh, uh, they're doing some voodoo dark magic here. Oh, wait, you can edit and move objects around? Okay. What? In Galaxies, guys? In Star Wars Galaxies, the way we had to move custom objects around is we had to literally type in their coordinates. <laughs> so it was a lot of trial and error until you got it right. And you always had that one guy in your guild, as Ludens would uh, attest to, who was, like, really good at coordinates. So he could, like, exactly, you know... Organize your guild hall so it looked cool. Worm, a game that came out in 2006, which is not much after uh, Star Wars Galaxies, mind you, in that in that time, it, a couple of years is a big difference. But allows you to just click and place things in different places. Like, I mean, imagine if a game with like amazing 3D graphical fidelity, say for example, as you know, even just a fraction of something that we've seen on a PC game, like, I mean. Shit, it can even look like Mountain Blade, but but imagine if Mountain Blade allowed you to customize and and shape the world to that extent. You just imagine that it wouldn't even have to be a server that allowed for thousands of people. It could even allow for hundreds of people, and it would still be a pretty damn good game. What else can we do? In reality, it's merely a visual effect and won't burn you like an actual... This shit just brings back memories because all of the time and effort that people put in building the world and customizing it and making it look a particular way, that's what I spent so much time admiring in Star Wars Galaxies even though I didn't necessarily do it myself. It was one of those things where I didn't necessarily have the patience to go through and build all of this stuff, but I greatly appreciated people who did. And um, I, I think player housing these days has gotten kind of almost like a pass. Actually, you know what? Like, let's let's get into a soapbox here. Sorry to um, um, break through this um, this from the vault segment. I think we did a great job so far highlighting why this game uh, should not be forgotten. But let let's get soap let's get soapy here for a sec. I want to rant a little bit. I think I think what oftentimes like. There are a couple things in the MMO industry that get kind of forgotten or at least fallen by the wayside in regards to our level of maybe criticalness uh, and to their viability as like a feature. And let me, let me put that in English. So say, for example, earlier Ludens mentioned that, or Ludens, 
Sorry, I get my Danes confused. I'm not kidding. Uh, Lim <laughs> Limpos mentioned that. Uh, let me actually go back and read it. Again. Yeah, uh, Limpos mentioned that looks were obviously a factor in this game. It doesn't look particularly good. Pretty ugly game. Imagine if you had a game that not only looked good, but also allowed for you to, I don't know, create your own keep, your own castle, your own house, your own village, your own, you know, place of living. Well, this feature existed in many different games. In the early 2000s, there's a number of games that allowed you to create your own towns, your own cities, your own uh, establishment, build things, uh, create uh, crops or raise crops, um, fishing, farming. You name it. These are features that have existed in MMOs spanning way back into the early 2000s. Why is it that in 2019, we still let developers get away with what they are calling these days layer housing? What I mean by layer housing, if you guys can't hear my quotation marks, my air quotes. Player housing in reality these days is just another instance that they give to you that allows for you to have maybe a vault or some sort of bank so you can put some things inside of. Maybe a cool little area that you can put some more gear in. A couple you know, places of interest. Maybe a chair here, a desk there, chest there. And that's what you get. And in fact, in many cases in games such as uh, uh, Elder Scrolls Online, you have to pay money for this. And I mean money from the cash shop. And Elder Scrolls Online, in some cases, you have to pay dozens of dollars in order to buy uh, player housing. And you think about all the time and effort put into rendering these essentially pre-rendered areas, which, although they look cool, will barely, if ever, be different or unique, right? Um, this looks great, but this is what I call window dressing, right? It looks beautiful. It's got new graphics. It's certainly shiny. It's pretty. But is this really player housing, right? If you're giving me a place to put all my things inside of, you're telling me where I can put them. You're giving me no ability to shape any of the landscape around my house. And then I can't even like build anything on my land itself. And then you're like, all right, here's your house. And I'm like, you mean my prison? Because like, this isn't my house. Locking me inside of an instance and, and throwing a couple banks and storage facilities in there is not my house. I, I don't know about you guys, but I have a little bit different of an, an experience or a definition of what I consider to be a house. <laughs> and uh, I think my, my rant today really is just, why are we letting developers get away with such you know, archaic and frankly speaking, backwards player housing? I remember when player housing being featured in a game was a big thing it was like a big feature to say we got player housing and it was like wow like you have player housing like star wars galaxies uh, had player housing uh wild star had a big selling point with player housing these different games that cared so much about uh it was because these were places that you could create guilds and have guild meetings it allowed for you to have more community interactions and have a place to put your things and really just create and, and build your own world right but in 2019, it's almost like we're letting developers get away with these, like, instances. And, and, and I just feel like 
I, I'm not really sure why we're letting people get away with it. Uh, Burrito Bandits. I realize that Wildstar's housing was instance, but Wildstar as a game, right? When did Wildstar come out? Wildstar came out in 2014 and started to be worked on as early as 2008, if I remember correctly. It was in development for like six to seven years. So the point being is like, relatively speaking, for the time they came out, instance housing wasn't totally out of the question. The reason why I bring up Wildstar as another example is Wildstar is a newer age of housing where it's instance, but they still give you a great level of customization uh, over your, your house. So by current theme park standards, Wildstar probably has one of the best player housing systems. And I think that it's certainly better than uh, Elder uh, Scrolls Online's. And um, I just, I, th I think it's a bit silly. In um, 2019, we still have instant housing. I'll, I'll be honest. At this point, it's just, I get it if it's tech limitations for your game. Your game just simply doesn't support player housing in any way, shape, or form, or couldn't in any way, shape, or form. Maybe you're just a small-scale game. Maybe you just don't have the resources. But man, it's, it's just crazy to think you can look backwards, right? And see better games. <laughs> better player housing systems to this day, right? And you're, you're talking far back, like early 2000s now. And it... Anarchy Online had player housing. I don't think it had it at launch, but it, it did eventually. You have to have a pretty hardcore sandbox game to have in-world player housing. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say hardcore, but if you mean like for it to actually not just be a waste of effort, then yeah, you probably do have to flesh it out to a certain extent. Because otherwise, you're just pouring a lot of resources into something that maybe you don't even know if people are necessarily going to use. That's certainly worth mentioning. Arcage was probably the last one to attempt open world player housing. Yeah, Arcage actually, uh, I would say, again, compared to other titles, comparatively to titles that it was competing against, more theme park centric titles, I would say Arcage does a really good job of that. It's really important, I think, to make comparative arguments, because if we don't make arguments relatively speaking, then it's never going to seem fair, if that makes sense. Because you're going to take, you know, old school nostalgic games and say, oh, they had this one really cool system, and then compare it to some current system and be like, see, it's not, it's not exactly the same. So then therefore, it's not just as good. Well, it's like, well, actually, I'm of the belief that even the old school systems are flawed, right? Everything has a flaw. And, and gamers are pretty damn good at figuring out flaws. And I just finished my voiceover and editing for the uh, Asheron's Call uh, 1 and 2 video, speaking of which, the death of a game on Asheron's Call 1 and 2, which should be launching next week. Um, breaking that little bit of news now. But going through that game, it made me realize games that have these great innovative features also in many cases have very glaring flaws. And it's almost because in spite of their you know, innovative features, they have these glaring flaws because they spent so much time maybe, you know, focusing on these particular things or those particular things end up being kind of like maybe ruined by, say, for example, technical limitations 
or in the case of like Star Wars Galaxies and Asheron's Call, macroing. Macroing and botting killed a lot of those systems and kind of ruined them. And so um, it's just interesting to watch uh, or, or see the story of Asheron's Call, which is probably one of my favorite stories so far, and see how much um, is great about it, but how much is all, also obviously flawed. Conan Exiles, Atlas, Arc Evolved, you can customize and build to suit your needs. Yeah, but see, those games aren't massive multiplayer online games. That's sort of my issue with those games, is that ultimately speaking, there's really no permanence. They can't sell you on permanence because the world isn't large enough to sell you on permanence in most cases, and they can't host enough players on it to sell you on permanence. The one few example that maybe can kind of buck that trend is Minecraft, or maybe their more recent you know, yet to launch a sequel of sorts. Hytale could be possible uh, or could be capable of running a thousand people on the same server, which could in some people's uh, estimations or by their definition be a massive multiplayer online game. But um, I don't know. We'll see, right? Let's jump into the next bit of exciting news. And of course, you know, I'm sure everybody's been wondering about this news for a while now and finally news came out that confirmed the launch date none other than classic wow those who haven't been following the story world of warcraft originally launched in 2004 and kind of took the world by storm it eclipsed everquest quite quickly including everquest 2 uh the sequel to everquest 1 it it, it, it eclipsed just about everything else on the market and by TBC, and frankly speaking, Wrath of the Lich King had eclipsed 12 million overall subscribers. And whether or not those were Chinese gold sellers, we don't exactly know yet, but those are the numbers that came out when they did. However, following the Wrath of the Lich King expansion, which was uh, Cataclysm, WoW was kind of on a downward trend. It maybe picked up a little bit during Legion and recovered, but kind of spiraled back down after its more recent expansion, Battle for Azeroth, when it wasn't so, you know, like it, it wasn't a satisfactory expansion for many people. So after all of this or during all of this drama and all of this stuff uh, unfolding, Classic WoW is kind of like this tiny little idea, this little blimp on the radar uh, existing on private servers. And every now and then these private servers would get crushed, essentially, like the bugs we are because uh, we have no protections in that realm. So Blizzard every now and then would send out a couple C&D letters and... Uh, call it a day and next thing you know these big massive classic wow private servers were getting shut down overnight um but what what it told us as fans is that there's something there we 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 keep playing these private servers because there's clearly something there there's something that we enjoy something that we still want in that classic experience that's not currently being uh, satisfied right now in the modern experience and so it started with a question of, um, you know, why don't you guys just do a classic server and you can even, you know, lock it behind a, a subscription fee. People won't mind. And then it was kind of like, eh, you know, people ignored it. Blizzard ignored it. It wasn't really a big deal. And then a guy asked a question at a uh, particular, um, <laughs> and I just love showing this. Like, um, it, it's such a great example of how you can kind of like the smell of your own fart sometimes when you forget 
that it's all about the gamers. It's all about the people who play your game. It's about those that are passionate enough to get on stage when they're probably nervous as hell and ask this damn uh, question. Have you ever thought about adding servers for previous expansions as they were then? No. And, and by the way, you don't want to, that, to do that either. You think you do, but you don't. Remember when you had to like spam city? So he goes to talk about some of the more kind of like, I would say, um, re not redundant, but almost like um, the, the more not so fun aspects of Classic WoW. Maybe the parts that could potentially cause uh, attrition. So he uses the worst examples to be like, see, you don't miss this. You don't miss this, which is kind of just as silly as being like, you don't miss Ragnaros. You don't miss Anixia, and like mentioning like the greatest aspects. You don't miss Gurubashi Arena. You don't miss Arathi. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a straw man, which is silly why he would make a straw man against, you know, this legion of class, or the, the sorry, this legion of uh, dedicated WoW fans who are pretty sharp. By the way, <laughs> if you guys have been watching these announcements or these uh, um, BlizzCon stage things, people in the audience ask great questions all the time. And this was one of those. You know, um, the reason why it was perceived so arrogantly was, was, because, uh, sorry, was because essentially people took uh, Alan Brack's uh, kind of nonchalance about this as, a, as he was like almost ignoring that the classic WoW community had already existed on our sorry vanilla wow community had already existed on private servers for like 10 plus years and not just existed but existed in like crazy numbers we're talking 5,000 plus people on single servers like these are big numbers for a classic uh a, a private server especially one that's operating in the vanilla version of wow so anyway that's my little backstory for those who haven't followed it but finally finally Blizzard announced when Classic WoW would be relaunching as they finally confirmed it would be relaunching, uh, I think about a year and some change ago. It's going to be officially launching on uh, August 22nd, or 27th and need the time, the different time zones for my European fans and Taiwanese fans and Korean and what does this one mean? A and Z? Whatever region that is, no shade, but I'm not sure. When is the A and Z? I don't know. I don't know what time zone that is, but Sao Paulo. Yeah, anyway. Um, whatever region you are, here are the different dates. You can look this up. I'm excited. What more what more can I say about this? I'm excited because I'm I'm in the process of writing a, a script about this and, and putting out a video on this, but the reason why WoW Classic interests me so much, is, there's just a couple of reasons, actually. Um, a couple simple reasons. One, I like to see things that were old come new again, if that makes sense. Because I like to see how can they hold up in the current market. I mean, that's just almost like that one of those weird things that if you get the chance to see that, it's such a sight to behold. When do you get to see a retro product go up against a current product and see if it's actually comparable and it's and it's going to be successful. Um, remember when people were saying that WoW wasn't going to be successful? Um, Classic WoW wasn't going to be? That it was just a fad? That it was, oh, it was going to fail? You know, it's going to fade out over a couple of, you know, days. It's just hype. People don't really want Classic. People don't really care about that. 
Well, for those who are uh, Twitch savvy, which are probably most of you watching right now, um, Asmongold, you know, a prominent, probably the most prominent MMO streamer and WoW streamer broke 100k views on Twitch while streaming doing a classic dungeon, uh, or rather, uh, no, he did it a dungeon. He, he did do a dungeon, right? Didn't he do, um, the mines? Uh, what was the, the name of it? The dead mines? Is it dead mines? I don't know why I keep thinking... Uh, um, yeah, it was a, it was the Dead Mind stream. Sorry, because I just got done watching his uh, Kalazam one, and then the one that he did with uh, the open world PvP one. Which oh, actually, you know what? I'll show that one on screen. Welcome to the Dead Mind. Exactly. Um, all right, so here is some footage from Asmongold in closed beta which by the way closed beta is currently running for classic wow on like official retail servers but obviously it's only for a select few content creators um loyal blizzard fans that sort of thing i don't think i'm in the wow you know universe enough to really be invited to such a thing but i'm i'm kind of glad i didn't because i want to do a big launch stream and i can talk about that now so we've already mentioned it before. Here, let me let me go to the exciting part. Exciting part. They had a pretty huge fight. I think it's pretty at one point. Oh, there's Tally. Some good old uh world versus world, alliance versus horde, you know. Here we go. Ooh, getting pelted there. Never go backwards, not even when you're slowed. Anyway. <laughs> when I see people go backwards, even when they're slowed, it always drives me crazy. Because I'm like, I get the idea, because you're already slowed, so you're like, I could just go backwards. Yeah, but now you're just going even slower. So it's still never a good idea. This is a pretty crazy fight, and if this is what we can expect, which is going to be what we can expect, by the way, from a Classic WoW launch on a PvP server, I cannot wait. Spend many long hours organizing many long nights and raids on unsuspecting Alliance towns. If you guys are interested in joining, by the way, if you haven't played Classic WoW, if you have, whatever your reasons are, if you just would like a group of people to play with, feel free to join us. Uh, we only PvE. Currently what we're going by that's going to be my official wow community which is going to be uh joining horde on a pvp server rp pvp please please i still need to make a video about that but i want to beg blizzard to make an rp pvp server because there's proof that there's demand there first off and i want one because imagine the amount of content we could make on an rp pvp server it'd be great we could create our own factions and things it'd be awesome if only we could fight amongst factions as well. <laughs> then it'd really be a, an RP server. I'm just excited, as you guys can tell. Um, and I didn't even finish going over why I was so excited. Um, PvP obviously has, has me excited. New th or Old things coming new again has me excited. I mentioned that. The other thing that has me excited is now... No longer can people make the silly, silly, silly... And it's always been a silly argument... 
that, oh, because it's not in the mainstream, it's not successful. They can't make that argument anymore because you can be like, but Classic WoW, but Classic WoW, but Classic WoW. And that's going to be the argument many people are going to make now. Whenever people say, oh, but you can't make you know long-term progression games. But Classic WoW, um, oh, but you can't uh, make difficult games. Oh, but Classic WoW. And I like that. I like that. It's going to be a gotcha argument for a lot of people trying to make anti, you know, progression arguments, anti-spend time to progress arguments, which will make lots of those arguments. And it's not really what MMO fans want, as to me, really apparent by this re-relaunch of sorts with Classic WoW. Even just watching the beta unfold and seeing all of the um, talk about it, it's going to be hilarious first off to see so many people because they're not used to a games being difficult. Um, but it's just interesting also because now you're going to have the next expiring the next ex- aspiring developers and even just current developers and publishers and suits and all of these different people in the MMO genre who have some level of influence looking at WoW Classic. They're not going to just la 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 we're not going to see what WoW Classic does and what its success is, what it means like no, they're going to look at it with open eyes and, and try and analyze the shit out of it. Why it's working. What's going to happen? What's the future? Could we build off of this? Maybe we can make a game closer to this, right? It's going to have some level of, in, of influence. So essentially for me, my only uh, expectation for WoW Classic is, you know, to have a good time, really. That's my expectation is it's going to be a good time. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to enjoy myself. And hopefully some of you will enjoy yourself as well. Because uh, one thing's for sure, no matter what happens, something's going to happen. Meaning the market will shift. The market will feel classic wow. No matter what, it's going to... Good products can do that. Good games can do that. They can make the whole market, the whole genre feel it. And I think classic wow is going to do that. And I can't wait. I can't wait to be streaming an MMO, maybe on a daily basis. We'll see. Um, I'm not even sure yet, but um, yeah. Wow, I actually feel excited for the first time for an MMO in, in some time because at least, you know, after playing Classic WoW on the private server, I got a couple of characters to, um, to over level 15, and I didn't really go higher. I, I kind of wanted to get to level 30, and I was like, you know what? I, I'm not going to do it, and I ended up not playing Horde. I just played Alliance. So I'm kind of keeping the experience mostly fresh for myself. And I think that's kind of what the appeal is to me. And also, hopefully, um, you know, one of the reasons why people want to watch me play WoW Classic is, you know, why would you watch me play over, say, for example, Asmongold? Um, Well, obviously, besides the reason that he's ginormous and (laughs) you're not really going to get the best chance to talk to him, besides the normal big versus small, you know, streamer, small content creator type stuff, I think it's more so that... I just offer a more outsider's perspective on it all. If you want to 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 hear um and, and watch the WoW launch and and really just all the closed beta stuff and maybe all the information concerning the WoW Classic uh, launch and go get that from a WoW purist, by all means, go to someone like Asmongold. Go to go to like I don't know, Tips Out, Mad Season Show. There's tons of like, well, I don't know about Tips Out, but Mad Season Show. There's tons of great YouTubers who do WoW-centered uh, co- uh, content and WoW-focused content. So that's not why you guys come to me. So I figured what's interesting for me is just I feel almost like a kid in a candy store. It's like I know that there's candy here, and I'm and I'm totally not familiar with it yet. But I get to also kind of experience it as somebody who is almost always on the outside looking in. 
I was never really caught into the WoW bug. I never really had the WoW bug. I never really was the WoW fan, if you If anything, I constantly was railing against the game. I was very negative against the game, in fact. Um, I think probably because I was, like, bitter when I was younger that it killed so many games, either directly or indirectly. Um, but obviously, um, you grow up and you learn that, well, things are better or they adapt or they die. That's kind of how it works, right? You wonder how quickly people get sick of those candies? I mean, uh, in, in what way do you mean by that? Could you quantify what you mean? Because when people ask that question of how long does it take to get sick, I want them to be specific. Because I think it's kind of like one of those annoying things to bring up. Because people are never specific in their argument. When they say how long is it going to last, like, what do you mean? Because there's a lot of content in Classic WoW already, right? You're at least talking a one to two years if you're a casual player. And if you're a hardcore player, at least half a year to a year of, of serious content. Not to mention if you want to make an alt character. So there is a lot there. It's more than just people getting sick of it. I think it's um, we can ask that question and revisit that question in two years' time. So maybe, maybe in another two years. Now we can really ask the question of, are people sick of those candies yet? And maybe they will be. I've said it before. I think the best you know, foot forward isn't keep classic classic. That, that's just my opinion of it. Um, but at the same time, I'm perfectly fine with keeping classic WoW servers classic as long as there is some step forward from Blizzard. I would prefer a step forward. And when I say a step forward, I mean, let's not keep the same old, same old. Why don't we get inspired by the old stuff and then maybe make something new? And I realize... I can hear all of the angry WoW fans in unison crying about that. I'm not saying they're going to take away your classic WoW server. I'm just saying that if classic WoW or WoW period as an IP wants to keep living, it can't live forever in um, past servers, I guess, if you put it that way. What exactly is there? Wait, and more grind for raid gear? Wait, you don't think doing raids or dungeons is content? You don't think doing city raids is content? You don't think doing battlegrounds is content? I'm confused. Getting to a raid in itself takes months, months of work. So if even if there was only one raid, that one raid, if it was, you know, let's say, Anixia would take people forever to get there. Or if it was a Naxxramas, it would take people forever to get there. So even that just one raid is a lot of content. They did come out and say that if Classic is successful and the community wants it, they will make new Classic content. Well, I mean, they didn't say that exactly, but they, they said that they're open to the idea of it. Basically, what you would say, because they would never close themselves off to the idea. They already tried that and they got yelled at <laughs> when they were like, you think you do, but you don't. And then people all like spank them and then they got in trouble for that. So I don't think they're going to do that anymore. They're going to just hit us with a, well, wait and see what happens. But I just I can't help but feel my spider senses going off in regards to my, you know, I guess the, the perspective that's more business centric within me. 
that says like, come on, how is Blizzard going to give up this big market share just easily? And when I say give it up, I just mean just let, you know, modern WoW kind of peter out and then just like bank on maybe the profits coming in steadily from Classic WoW. Eventually that's going to run out. So I don't know. Um, I don't like to have that discussion that much anymore because it's it's one of those that it always ends up in the same place, which is kind of like we don't know. I guess we're going to see. You know? But um, it is interesting to have the conversation for sure. Just not when it when it ends up being kind of like a, a loop, I guess if you. Will. If the raid gear and dungeons aren't content, then BFA isn't much. <laughs> nah, I do not counting. I do not count grinding like a zombie content. I did back then. Hell, hell, hell no! I'll do that. I think you mean again. Can you describe what grinding like a zombie content means? I'm I'm curious what that means. Cuz uh what in what game do you grind as a zombie? Cuz if anything that's current games. Current games are way more zombie grind like than I've ever seen in games before. <laughs> Will your hat work as a flying disc? You know what? Question. Uh I don't know. I'll have to try that out. Probably. It's, it's it's a nicer hat, though. I don't know if I want it to end up on the ground. For me, a raid isn't content. It's just a thing that I have to do in order to get better gear. Wait, so what What do you... Okay, let's have that, let's have that discussion, then. What do people consider content, then? I'm curious what people's definitions of content are. It seems I might have a different view than many people. <laughs> I have a very literal definition for content. Content to me is literally anything that's created by the by the developers themselves for me to essentially partake in. That's content to me. If that was just a hat wars, like a like a I don't know a hat mini game, that would still be content, even if I thought it was shitty content. <laughs> well, Ludens, unfortunately, I grew up with many people who I would play MMOs with, who would always get annoyed whenever we would grind. And I would always be like, okay, how are we going to get to the max level if we don't level? Oh, well, I just, I don't want to have to like kill monsters over and over again. Okay, let's do some quests. I don't want to have to run around from point to point and turn things in. Okay, let's PvP. Damn. I'm getting destroyed over and over again by these guys. I don't want to level up in Battlegrounds. So do you just not want to level up? Like, you just not want to play an MMO? Like, if that's the argument, then yeah, maybe maybe you shouldn't play. You don't want to level. Leveling is kind of a, I would say, a integral part of being an adventurer. Original idea behind an MMO, right? Pen and paper? What do you think will happen if Classic WoW doesn't take off? Hmm. When you say take off, what do you mean? Because like the reason why I keep asking you guys questions in return to your questions is not to be annoying or pedantic. It's because when somebody asks the question, um, what like what do you think will happen if it doesn't take off? It's improbable, nearly impossible it wouldn't take off. And what I mean by that is it's going to be successful. That's not an argument. It will be successful. 
Now, we can have an argument as to how long it will be successful. Will it fade out quickly? Will it fade out within a year, two years, three, however many years? We can have that discussion. But it's already proven on private servers when it first launched, recent, you know, hoopla and hype over the whole uh, classic WoW closed beta. I mean, clearly it's going to be successful commercially. So for me, the question is more so, what then? Then what do they do with that? Are they just going to kind of leave that? Are they going to muck it up? You know, what are they going to do with that level of success once it happens? That's kind of, I think, what my, what my thoughts are on that matter. And then if your question is, what do I think will happen if it doesn't take off at that point? I mean, I think it'll kind of just slowly peter into existence, just like most of them. I mean, classic WoW has a higher chance to survive than uh, modern WoW. And I think the reason is, is because with modern WoW, um, once the uh, once the once you're no longer able to bring in new players, the old school players are more likely to want to play the old school content. If you think about it, at least they're they're going to want access to the old school content. Because at that point, why just play the original content when it's kind of, in some people's eyes, maybe an easier, more bastardized version of the game or whatever your argument is. I think Classic WoW will be great once a month or two passes. That's when the buzz will fizzle and the game should be stabilized to a core community. Yeah, uh, Alandris, I think that's kind of what has me a little bit afraid about joining a PvP server is um, is kind of the toxicity of the community. Um, I prefer RP PvP servers because on RP PvP servers, typically uh, PvPers are more so, in my experience, adults. <laughs> so they're more willing to like, Sure, there's shit talk, but you shit talk in, in character, essentially. <laughs> so it's not, hey, go get cancer, go, like, you know, go die in a fire kind of thing. It's more of like, a, look, Tar, I'm going to turn your skull into a decoration ornament. But in the nicest way possible, from an orc perspective. So it's a little bit different. Any activity in a game that contributes to player fun or progression in regards to the content content. Okay. I suppose today people expect something like Guild Wars 2 every month, quite a big amount of new content. We want new content, not the same old bullshit grind. Games have been doing the same old grind in each. Yeah, so, so I think I kind of understand what you're saying here. And if my opinion isn't abundantly made clear already or hasn't been abundantly made clear already, I'm always pushing towards the forward like the future. Like I want better than what was previously done. So why didn't I like WoW back whenever I was playing other MMOs? The simple reason was, is I believe that the questing in WoW was quite formulaic. I believed it was boring. And frankly speaking, I, um, I never really gave it a chance. So when I went back and played it on a private server, I realized the biggest part of my problem was I was rushing through the game. Not, nothing else. I was rushing through the game. I was rushing through the dialogue. There was lore there. There was some dialogue. Yes, are the quest objectives kind of like boring? Is it still killing five boars sometimes? Absolutely. And those are fetch quests. Those do exist. 
And um, yes, I want questing to be better than that now. But the the argument with classic WoW isn't to make it better. It's classic WoW. It's it's not even in the discussion. You know what I mean? Like it's like so classic WoW coming out isn't uh, an in, an indictment on there not being new levels of questing or or new types of grinding. It's more that whatever is currently uh, in rotation is not adequate. And that's been proven, right? People are seeking more longer-term progression. They don't want everything to be easy to get. They actually want some level of difficulty. People are actually seeking consequence. They want consequence because they realize it's required in order to have the best kind of world. So that's kind of my opinion on it. I feel like I'm... I'm very much staunchly into the, I want to learn from our past mistakes and push forward. But whenever you have a classic um, launch of a server, in this case, a uh, classic WoW, it's different because it's actually, it's not asking you to look forward. It's actually, it's actually asking you to look back, but that's not where it, sto- it stops. Most people will just look back and be like, wow, WoW classic, this is great. This is what I wanted. Most people will have that kind of like expression. I think the more, at least for those who are interested in developing games <laughs> and those who are still interested in the MMO genre, the better attitude to have is we're looking back so we can better yet go forward, right? It's almost like, okay, so MMOs started on this idea of pen and paper of creating characters, of creating adventures, of, of questing together. And then they put it into a text-based game. And then they put the text-based game into a, a 3D game or a 2D game. And then the, the 2D game was put into a 3D game. And then boom, 2004, you have WoW launch, right? And it's this big, crazy, successful game. And it changed so many different paradigms and different aspects of uh, the way things were done before. But that doesn't mean that the way things were done before was wrong. And this is what I constantly struggled with back as a youngling because I didn't have the brain power nor the fedora yet to argue with people whenever they would say, yeah, but WoW's more successful, so your game sucks. And I'd be like, yeah, right. Less people play my game. No one cares about my game. But but I always thought to myself too, no, but... WoW's good, but this isn't the best aspect. The fetch questing isn't the best aspect. Killing five boars isn't the best aspect of the game. So I didn't like that people looked at it with such rose-colored glasses even back then. You know, they weren't willing to call out the flaws. That some quests are boring. That some zones are barren and unfinished. That um, relying so much on developer-made content without allowing more tools for player content hamstrings their game in my opinion for no reason like wow why doesn't wow just come out with a couple different tools to allow role players or even just community you know uh leaders to create more content it's not that difficult to do it isn't right unless their system is really just that difficult to change right but like to to bring up an example is we've seen garrisons. We've seen them do things where you can customize things. We've seen them add new lands and new zones that have uh, world objectives to them and things can affect and change and uh, zones can flip and things like that. So they have the capabilities of doing it. So I guess for me, the interesting thing with Classic WoW 
it, it, it starts at, oh, wow, here's this classic idea. Let's see if it can hold up in modern day. But also, here's why it worked before. Let's pay attention to that. That's what I'm paying attention to. So when some people maybe see the whole classic, wow, they just think, oh, hype job. Oh, overhyped. Oh, people don't really want it. Oh, it's going to, you know, what is it going to be after a year or two? No one's going to care. I'm looking at it more of like, well, now people are going to see it on the stage again. And so they're going to know now. It's almost like they see the future because you have classic wow and then you have modern wow. So we know where we started and where it worked and where it was great. And then where it slowly started to lose maybe some of its better aspects. And we can look at it almost like, like an archaeologist. Like if you think about it, we can pick up this relic that's, that's classic wow and be like, huh, they did it this way and that way, this and that. There's flaws here, but this is also a really strong aspect. Then we can look at modern wow and be like, well, when you, when you compare it here, when you add this patch or this system or this feature, it changes this aspect of the game. And it's never going to be 100% of science, but you can use that comparison to kind of maybe lead the way forward. That's kind of my view of it. I think people are freaking out too much about the content of Classic WoW. When current patch is all that ever mattered after PBC, all old content is just for transmog and the occasional mount now. I don't, I don't really know if that's true though. People seem to very fondly remember classic WoW content, even the dungeons. But the content is same on every game, and nothing is new content. Maybe they can make a new game with different ways to MMO, like EverQuest did. Yeah, but that's not what's happening. So, like, I guess we can have an idealistic conversation of should they, maybe, they could, what if, you know, those kinds of arguments. But the reality is classic WoW is coming out. So I'd rather just have the discussion about kind of how that's going to change things. If they should have done it a different way. Because I already agree. I would already prefer a sequel, classic game. But at this point, I'm happy for a classic game because I know it's going to make change happen. No matter how it happens, change is going to happen. Technically, you can speak to the other faction, but I guess it's not, yeah, it's not cut and dry. What is a grind for me? Hmm. So... I've spoken about this on the podcast before and an update um, about it, actually. Rippy's brought up an idea that I had, funny enough, that I had thought about and kicked about a couple of times, but just never thought it would really work. And we would joke about it, of, co of course, a couple of times in Discord, which is like the idea of doing like a series maybe where you explain certain ideas and you explain like what a genre means, what a term means, and, and almost like historically talk about it talk about how it's used today talk about how it was originally used and that sort of thing and this is sort of one of those things i think it would be really helpful with because then we can kind of have the discussion of um like what does grind mean because what what grind initially meant to me was grind was typically described as asian mmos so as a young boy 
Whenever I would play a game, the games that were described as grindy were typically Asian-centric MMOs. In these Asian-centric MMOs, the reason why they were perceived as grindy is they are grindy. They are more grindy. It's part of the culture. They design their games differently. So for me, the idea of grind was just essentially um, doing the same thing over and over again to slightly increase my power level. And that sounds pretty general, right? Most people could uh, use that as a definition to describe leveling. But where grinding was different for me, and again, this is my, this was how I use the definition. Grinding was diff different for me because it was a negative connotation. The negative connotation was that there was no content, meaning there was no questing, there was no dungeons, there was no other way to level except just killing mobs. And so that, that's why Ion um, gets a lot of flack as a game is because early on in the game, there was nothing to do except just farm mobs in certain areas. And so that's literally just grinding, right? And some people are totally fine with that. And many games have that, including games that also have questing. But that's kind of how I described it whenever I was younger. Like the idea of, if there's no other way for me to level here besides just killing the same dude over and over again, that's a grind. But I, I know people use the term a lot more loosely and not so negatively uh connotated as I, I used it originally i guess I, sh I guess i should say i wish they wouldn't release classic content in the same order again they have the chance to basically create an alt wow i would say that's just realizing the basic quest forms go here deliver this and any others i can't think of. I'm a simple man. I just want someone in awesome, or I just want to see someone in awesome armor know that they earn that through gameplay, not by inserting their credit card. I'm the same way. That was a big thing that I liked about Guild Wars 1, in fact. Guild Wars 1, whenever somebody had faction armor, you know they slaved to get that. <laughs> That's basically what the game was, right? Costume Wars. It still is. Guild Wars 2 is still the same. It will be great if Classic is really successful. Many developers may actually look at it look at what was good back then and possibly start changing their ways. That's that's sort of my views on it as well, to be, uh, to be honest. Oh, also, thank you for the resub card, by the way. Here's your Fedora tip, man. But who cares about the same old, same old while questing storyline? All people will rush to the game. They want to be the first of everything. They want to PvP, so they have to rush to get the best gear as possible. I don't really think that's the case. I, I think people used to think that that was the case, as people kept saying it over and over again. So people almost like kept willing it into existence. Oh, MMOs are just a rush to the finish line. And then developers were like, oh, MMOs are a rush to the finish line? Okay, let's make MMOs just the finish line. And so they only made MMOs the finish line. But that's actually why people like Classic WoW so much. Because the, the end game isn't just the finish line. Getting there is, a, is quite a journey in itself. And having, you know, uh, now leveled three characters past level 15 in Classic WoW, like, it certainly is a journey. Like, that alone, I probably spent more time on those three characters than I would spend on one character in most games getting to level, like, 60. You know what I'm saying? Like, hitting a max level. It took me more time in that. I think if I looked at my days played, it was multiple days. Multiple days played. So, I mean, you think about that, and you're just like, if somebody wants to join Classic WoW already knowing how it's structured and just rush through the content... 
just to get the best things for whatever reason. There's no ranking system early on. There's no fact like what reason do you have other than to be the guest of the world first guy in rating? I, maybe if you want to be that. But if you want to be that, then there's servers and communities that you can join for that. Um, the, the, the problem is, is that a good portion of people who are interested in Classic WoW are actually interested in it just because of the leveling experiences and the PvP experience. So in reality, those two experiences don't really reward people who just rush to the end. So I will be streaming my experience uh, through the max level, and I plan on getting at least characters to max level. So uh, at least I hope to be proof and living proof that people can still enjoy leveling up and playing with their friends and MMOs and not having to play at some breakneck speed in order to enjoy a game. Because that, that, frankly, that, that shit needs to die. Because while it can exist and it should exist, what I mean by die is I mean the rhetoric surrounding it, that every game is that way. I just hate when people say that because it's just, you're, you're creating a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. By saying everyone is just going to rush to the end of the, uh, the game, you're, you're telling developers, hey, only make end game. Don't make early game. Don't make early game. And then everyone's like, okay. And everyone just rushes to the end game. And then we continue to get these really shitty, you know, pre, early, and then mid-game experiences. There's no innovation since the jumps since Ultima Online to EverQuest. That's just not true. Like, I, I get that people really like the classic experience. I get that you might like EverQuest 1 or, or, or Ultima Online a lot. But it's just simply not true to say that other people haven't innovated on the quest model. In fact, there's many examples of innovating on the quest model. Um, and, and in fact, one of the best examples is another game you didn't even mention, which is Asheron's Call, which also came out during that time. I would probably say that they had a lot of innovation put into the quest model as well. And then you have more recent games. People want to want to rag on SWOTOR, and I'm the first to do that. But it also had some pretty damn good questing and pretty damn good storylines. Um, also, we can talk about other questing experiences and, and other games such as like more more so new games that are not even out yet, like Project Gorgon and um, and uh, um, Scryia, uh Secret Worlds. Um, what are some other more? Shroud of the Avatar. Those are the best examples I can think of right now. But I, I just think it, it's helpful to say, hey, old games did this well, and old games did this really well. But I don't think it's helpful to speak in hyper hyperbole and be like, oh, nobody did it better than the old school games. Where it's like, I mean, that, that could be debatable. I think it could be debatable. Uh, Warhammer, for example, Asheron's Call probably is one of the first MMOs to really push emergent gameplay. Warhammer Online is probably one of the first games to push public questing. And then you have Guild Wars 2 now and just about everybody else make public questing a, a, a very normal part of their game. Sorry, Tabula Rasa came before Warhammer. And Tabula Rasa also had technically some sort of public questing system. So I, for, I forgot to mention Tabula Rasa. So there's, Tabula, there's uh, Asheron's Call, Tabula Rasa and then Warhammer. And public questing is an innovative uh, mechanic that was not worked on by EverQuest, nor pioneered by Ultima Online. That's another example. I get that you might be speaking in hyperbole, by the way, but just remember that this kind of is my job, so 
whenever people speak in hyperbole sometimes for me i have a hard time remembering that they're speaking in hyperbole i just think that they're just like saying something wrong <laughs> i don't know if that sounds really like arrogant or something just make a new mmo that pushes the envelope even if it's a big risk it's no problem hey let's do it ludens you want to make an mmo apparently a lot of people in that region want to make an mmo so why don't we get that grant from what's that place over there in the nordic region that something guild association people mentioned it in the comments but apparently they always give uh grants to video game company the one in sweden aren't they the ones that gave a uh, ragnar trinquist Trinquist is a uh, grant for his first game something writers associate i can't remember what the screenwriters associate i don't know it was like some like weird association but they for some reason always like invest in video games <laughs> I'm afraid that what worked 15 years ago might not work today. Gaming has changed. Simple as that. So, okay, I figured that was your opinion, Gardener. And now I'm going to have to bust you. So this opinion of, I'm afraid it's not going to work, is so silly. I'm tired of this opinion. Can people eradicate this from their minds? The is it not going to work argument does not work with Classic WoW. It's already been working. It's been existing on private servers for over a decade. The private servers have more population than entire games. So, like, I'm just so tired of the rhetoric of it's not going to work. It's already been working. Classic servers have already existed for a long time. Star Wars Galaxy's emulator has been running for over a decade. So, I, I just, sorry, it's one of my pet peeves when people say classic servers don't work. Or they're afraid if they're not going to work. They've already been working. <laughs> They've always worked. People like classic games uh, that are, you know, great games, great experiences. City of Heroes, Star Wars Galaxies, uh, World of Warcrafts, EverQuest, Asheron's Call. Though Asheron's Call, unfortunately, doesn't really have a well-known prominent emulator experience. Oh, you don't have to apologize for unsubbing, man. It's 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 fine, dude. I wish Arcage would get all the hype that WoW Classic is getting. I think the biggest problem with Arcage is its world, which is actually the probably the greatest strength of WoW. I think the reason why Arcage or a game like Arcage won't ever get the same reception of WoW is because WoW is fondly remembered because of its lore. The lore is what makes you remembered. Like gameplay experiences are certainly important, and I'm sure. Uh, anybody can tell you that Jedi Academy is a great game, but one of you guys in chat right now, and I'm putting you on the spot, one of you guys tell me what the main villain's name is in Jedi Academy. I'll wait. None of you guys know it. Okay, did you Google that? All right, we got we got two we got two correct uh, answers. The point being is, it's like a really obscure name that most people who aren't who didn't play the game over and over again, like I did, would even know Marco Ragnos or even know him as like some Sith Lord who has his own tomb on Korriban and all that stuff. My <laughs> my, my point being is, not a lot of people are going to remember that. Sorry, I'm scrolling down. Apparently, I was pretty uh, far back. But yeah, not a lot of people are going to remember that. But you're damn sure going to remember the physics in that game and the combat and how cool the gameplay was and 
force pushing off stormtroopers off of things and playing Kalkatarn and Jedi Outcast and, and and Academy creating your own character and you know like you know what I'm saying like you're gonna remember the gameplay with with WoW the reason why it's so uh, memorable is because the Warcraft lore I mean come on guys it's it's the lore it's the world they took the time to first off build and flesh out this world uh, with uh, the uh, the RTS games which I played uh, one and two. I'm one of those weird young kids who actually had the ability and chance to play uh, Warcraft 1 and 2. And I remember how weird kids would look at me whenever they'd be like, oh, I love Warcraft 3. And I was like, Warcraft 3, huh? I never really played much of Warcraft 3. I'd be like, what? Uh, I was like, yeah, I just played Starcraft mostly. I played a lot of Warcraft 2, though. People would just look at me like I was like the strangest person ever. And I'm just like, I liked Warcraft 2 better. That's my deal with it. That's just my opinion. I like I like Warcraft 2 better than Warcraft 3. I know I'm weird. I can't help it. I could probably help it a little bit. The most interesting thing to me is how classic dungeons were really intense. You had to be careful with the pools. You had to take your time and be ready for wipes. You had to explore these weirdly laid out spaces packed with people and things that felt almost lived in. I'll add on to that as well, that you you especially had to be careful with pools whenever you're trying to get to the end, the end of the, uh, the dungeon to get to the boss in a particular zone. Um, you really had to be careful because if you were not careful, you didn't just wipe yourself, you wiped the whole group. That's kind of how it should be, right? It's group content after all. <laughs> I remember back in high school when my friend was showing me Persona, he was saying that you had to grind levels. Oh, yeah, Persona was super grindy back then. I think Persona 4 or 3, if I remember correctly, um, is one of the more grindy ones. What are some key points that you think should be taken into consideration when developing an engaging quest system for today's audience? I think the most important things are going to be learning from uh, great quest systems such as RuneScape, Asheron's Call. Those two are the best examples to me of nailing the idea that questing has to be out in the world. Like, questing, Secret World does it great too, but those games do it a little bit better. But questing needs to be out in the world. Like, questing can't just be talking to an NPC and killing five, like, squirrels right next to the, the city. You know, questing has to be about being on an adventure, at least to some extent. It should feel like there's at least a little bit of ingenuity as well, at least in some quests. Like, maybe some basic puzzling. I'd like to see more puzzles in MMOs. I think the Secret World does a good job with doing puzzles. Um, so that I would like to see more puzzles. I would like to see questing being more involved out there in the world. As I said, um, having more reason to be out there in the world. Because oftentimes you just go to a city, somebody gives you a quest. And then you go to a, an area that's designated, right? And that's kind of how it goes. And yes, some questing should work that way. I'm totally fine with some quests working that way. Maybe like a quest board or a job board or something like that could get, just give you like basic questing like that. But I much prefer the idea that whenever you find out about a quest, it's either about you asking about it. Say, for example, in Morrowind or Elder Scrolls games where you have to kind of ask about rumors. I'd prefer it to be something like that. Or you have to say a keyword like an EverQuest. Or maybe even just one of those things like in uh, Asheron's Call where you just have to find the object itself. And when you find this like unique object, you kind of have to like put the pieces together where it goes and 
maybe somebody in town was asking about this particular object. You find it and you just slash give it to them. And then boom, it starts the quest right then and there. Instead of being so like formulaic and being checklist gameplay has kind of ruined the MMO genre, in my opinion. We've talked about this before. But like checklist based gameplay. The idea of like, I've killed four rats. Now to go get one rat head. When it's just like, wait, I already killed four rats. Why don't I have four rat heads? Like, why do I have to kill f- five rats to get one rat head? Or, or, or there's other things where it's just like, okay, you are this, you are the savior and destroyer of all beings. Can you go collect five goat pelts, please? Like, you're telling me I hit max level. I got all of this badass raid gear, and I'm on rat duty. I'm still killing zebras and gunks and horses like what do we do in here where's the epic shit where's the dynamic event where the bear attacks like a local town and he scales up to like some ginormous size because he hasn't been dealt with before ride hasn't really been filled or hasn't really been like finished out yet i guess i should say you know what you're you're the exact kind of guy we need be here you're the dragonborn you're the dragon slayer, you're the king slayer, and you're the god slayer. So we have the perfect job for you. Can you mop the toilets, please? I'll give you 500 XP. And, um, I'll give you a token, daily token, while you're at it. Thanks, sport. Hey, make sure to, make sure to use hot water this time. Thanks, man. I remember him as the blue guy that some used. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's so funny. Like in in Jedi Knight, we used to just use like the most absurd characters, and and like especially like the best players on the server were always like the dumbest characters. Like whenever I was in my heyday, I guess I would always play Tuscan Raider or or you just like the dumb characters where you're just like, why are you Tuscan Raider? But that's exactly why I played Tuscan Raider. That was a little kid. And so whenever people be like. Why are you Tuscan Raider? I'd be like, because I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> and I'm a Jedi. But people really like that. There's so many different character models in that game. It made it really fun to replay uh, maps over and over again with different characters and different emotes. I thought Jedi were supposed to be a challenge. The MMO community ruined MMOs. Butcher about travel and time it takes to make a dungeon group. Bam dungeon finders. Bitched about taking... Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's fair to completely blame people who complain. Because remember, when people complain, they're complaining because there's an actual issue. Just because you complain, however, doesn't mean that the, the solution that you get is going to be the solution that you either want or is the best solution. So sometimes, some you know, you fix a problem... But you have, have you ever heard that uh, saying that you cut off your nose to spite your face? It's kind of one of those things where sometimes you think you fix a problem, but in reality, you had no idea that you created a far greater problem. And sometimes people can only figure this out, after all, since this, we're talking about people here. Anthropology, or the study of people, is, is very difficult to do, and it's hard to have very good psychological studies and, 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 and such because of this. 
because double blind studies are very hard to set up, right? If you want to have some really good like anthropological study, you would need like a double blind study at least. And it's pretty difficult to get such a thing. So it's also difficult to judge how uh, a community or a world would work, right? Unless you have a number of years to study it. So it's like in a way, MMOs are tragic in that they almost have to screw up and fail for other games to kind of learn, right? Kind of has to go that way. Whereas, you know, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines can come out, be an utter shit show because it's totally unfinished, but then get a number of community patches and kind of be like good to go, even though it was completely done by its community. With a, with a massive multiplayer online game, you have to pay for the servers to run. You have to pay to host the IP in most cases. Um, it's very unlikely that you're even going to get access to the game to even have the source code and all of that sort of stuff. Job's done. <laughs> zug zug. <laughs> Job's done. Job's done. That's my best, uh, my best imitation. Would love to see Jedi Academy a remake with updated engine or expanded upon. I would too, man. I would too. Let's see what this, uh, this new, um, I'm already forgetting the damn name. What's that new Star Wars game that's supposed to come out? Fallen Order. I'm hoping Fallen Order is more like Jedi Academy than it's more like Battlefront. The more recent Battlefront. Warcraft's two personality was off the charts. The music, the sound effects, the quests. Warcraft 3 did not measure up. I just, what I liked the most about Warcraft 2 was I liked the very green orc. I liked like the very green orcs. I liked that you had like the very clear differences and factions. I also liked the death animation. And you'd like see like the blood on the ground and shit. Like it was a more bloody and grim dark game. I felt like in regards to like maybe violence and stuff like that and the way it's portrayed. But I'd say that the overall plot is more mature in Warcraft 3 for sure. There's more like betrayal and these other dark kind of insidious beliefs in there and uh, the Forsaken and stuff. Uh, it's probably darker overall, but I don't know. Warcraft 2 felt more mature to me and it's probably just the way it looks. I was a sucker for the old school style of uh, art for Warcraft. I still remember the Ogre Mages and... Uh, was the other guys? There was the Griffins, the dude who flew on uh, the the dudes who flew on Griffins. <laughs> that dates me, doesn't it? Man, that seems like a long time ago. I feel like Sky Skyrim would have been much better if you weren't the Dragonborn. I would agree. Especially because the Dragonborn shit just kind of seems like thrown in there. In the old expanded Star Wars universe, there was a Tusken Raider Jedi Master. Eh, you'll have to send me a source for that. As a as a Star Wars expanded universe nerd myself, it's very likely there's some big uh, catch there. 
like he he was Tuscan or was like adopted or something. It's gonna be like some weird like catch. Because I mean, they're I'm pretty sure they're slavers, though. It it seems like unlikely they would be like Jedi. <laughs> they would have their own Jedi. Speaking of Star Wars, have you seen the Mandalorian TV show promos? Promos. I've seen a couple of them, and obviously, like I don't know if you guys know this, but Mandalorians are my favorite. Like I love Mandalorians. I love Mandalorians. They're probably one of my favorite factions in all of Star Wars. Period. That being said, what is my opinion or what are my thoughts of the upcoming Mandalorian uh, show that's supposed to come out? I'll tell you. Look, here's my opinion of uh, or my expectations of most Star Wars movies or shows. I'm gonna go in. I'm going to enjoy it. I- I'm going to try and be be as entertained as possible. And then after, I'll take the time to critically analyze it. But when I first go into it, I go in as a, just a normal fan. Like, I'm just trying to enjoy it. I just want to be like the regular dude just enjoying it. So I don't like to have a whole lot of pre- preconceived notions of things. I, don't, I haven't read any reviews or any, any you know, leaks or anything like that. So my knowledge right now is pretty much fresh. And I don't like to watch a whole lot of trailers. So I will talk about it whenever it's, um, whenever it's out for sure. And I'll let you guys know. Will I make a video on it? Uh, I don't really know if that's my lane. I will talk about it for sure. Subvert your expectations. I saw that. Fallen Order looks bad. I wish you could character customize. I mean... I don't really care about character customization as much if you make a good contained story. But if you don't, and you make me hate my character, or at least dislike my character, kind of like my problem with The Force Unleashed was I wasn't I wasn't really like a fan of the main character. He just kind of seemed kind of boring to me, a placeholder. So I can't really play games if I think the main character is boring. <clears throat> have i seen clone wars um yeah i'm gonna have an unpopular opinion about clone wars in fact this will be my last opinion before i move to the uh fallen segment so while i'm making this uh unpopular opinion feel free to ask me any question in chat you can at me in chat um we have a little bit of time so you can at me in discord if you'd like to we have about maybe 20 minutes or so. If you'd like to ask me a question in Discord, feel free to join the discord.gg slash nerdslayer. You can ask me a question about just about anything. Um, if you don't have time to join the podcast lobby and ask me a question, however, using voice, then you can all also just at me in chat. Also at me in chat and I will get to your question. Yeah, if anybody has any questions they'd like to ask me in a call-in, anything you've been preparing, um, I, I, I need to start asking you guys more questions. Because people haven't been so excited to call in now, I feel like, because I leave it at the end. Maybe I need to do a couple, um, will I live stream, react to E3 streams? You know what? I'm thinking about it. My, my problem with doing things like that is I don't like to come across as very smug. And I know it's, it might seem funny because I get accused of things as people listen to my voiceovers and somehow psychoanalyze me. 
I'm not particularly someone who likes being smug. So typically I don't like doing reaction things because they come across as being smug. I mean, you guys see, like, even whenever I do trailer reactions with you guys, I don't typically like doing them. But I just do them anyway because I know people want me to. I'll try it. You know what? I'll try it. I'll think about it. Because I've covered the, the show before. I've been on the floor. So maybe I have some maybe insight other people don't have. And, um, and all of that sort of stuff. But I don't even know if I would have the time to do such a thing or if, if I would want to do it. But I guess it could be successful for me, like monetary-wise. So it could be a good reason for me. I don't know. We'll see. That's a good question. You have something to call in then, Paul? All right. Join the podcast lobby. I'll drag you in. Here's a link for Sharad uh, Het. Okay. Go. He was right. He's a real character. What universe was he? Rise of the Empire. Wait a minute. Isn't Rise of the Empire what I think? Okay, that's actually, sorry. I thought the Rise of the Empire was before Darth Bane, but it's after. The so Darth Bane is... No, it says right here, he sired a son and he continued to lead the Tuscans. So the Jedi sent a representative to retrieve him. Interesting. Apparently his his father ended up becoming Darth Crate. Pretty damn interesting. Cool, thanks for that, man. I appreciate it. You learn something every day. Do you think streamers like Asmund Gold or Tips Out are going to ruin the classic WoW experience? Um you might have to explain that one a little bit. What do you mean by ruin the experience? Do you mean like um Yeah, I guess by by I mean like make it negative to people. I, I don't know. I guess I'd have to. I have to. All right. So Limpos has a question, so he's gonna call in right now. Let's drag him in. Hey, what's up, Limpos? Oh, hey. All right. What's I your just, question? There we go. Well, it was more of, um, a thought that I had when you talked about um, what was it? Um, names appearing in MMOs, like over players. I sort of haven't thought about that, because not only is it, um, like, it, it prevents flanking, it prevents you from having to actually recognize enemies. Like, you can just see it in the distance, his name is red, he's an enemy. But I, then I had some more thoughts about it, and that was actually to do with um, factions, and how that sort of interacts. Because if you give a name to something, you start to hate, you can sort of hate that thing. You can hate the name. You can hate the player behind that name. But if you remove the name, suddenly it's only the race or the faction that you start to hate. And I sort of thought about how that sort of could be 
well, not implemented, but how that sort of fu functions together in a faction. Yeah, so you're saying like, um, so nameplates is, 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 is where we started, right? Yeah, but, essentially. But you're saying that um, maybe it's, it's not the best. To, so you're, uh, sorry, I didn't get the beginning. Did you say that oh, you sorry. didn't want to have a nameplate system where you can see someone from afar or you do like that part? Well, well I'm not sure what I actually like. I, it was just a thought about it. Okay. That if you don't have the nameplate, there's not something recognizable. Like, there's not a name, there's not a character. It's just an enemy. And how that sort of plays into factions, or the factions in an MMO. Because suddenly, if there's no name, if there's no guild, then it's just an orc. It's just the enemy. And how that sort of plays into, well, yeah, how the sort of wars in a MMO function. Huh, that, that actually, I, I kind of see what you're saying. I, I've, I've brought this up before. It's interesting oh. where you think about in, in like, um, I think I was talking to my girlfriend about this, but you, you talk about the way like social interactions work in the real uh, world. And, you know, you can't really choose if somebody talks to you or not, right? Like mostly you can, but sometimes people can just talk to you in proxy or maybe they just come up to you and talk to you. Uh, when you think about MMOs, and in an MMO, whenever you approach somebody, you know a lot about them before you even really talk to them. And that's actually an important thing. You're right. It is an important thing because that's the original idea behind uh, creating class customization or like class, uh, I, I should say, identity in the original like Dungeons and Dragons, right? Each class has its own identity. Therefore, it looks its own way. So whenever you see a druid, he's not dressed in, you know, ironclad armor and, you know, head to toe and has no pet with them like because that's not really how they look so you have like a certain expectation and i think that um yeah like with, with without a uh a name tag you sort of only have whatever you can glean by looking at somebody but my idea isn't completely get rid of the name tag it's keep a name tag but make it to where you actually have to make a vision check in order to to, to see their name and what i mean by like a vision check is i mean like within a certain radius if your character has the ability to perceive that person, like, you know, let's say it's a sight radius of 500 meters, whatever it is, then you can see their uh, tag. But let's say if you have, maybe you're not as gifted, you have worse sight, maybe you can only see it at 250. So it could make sight an actual skill in the game. And it could also make it to where having somebody who's a scout that has a high level of sight could actually be useful because you'd need them to spot people to see if they're uh, enemies or not. But here's another thing. You have things like tabards, right? You can introduce tabards and, and guild cloaks and all this other stuff to uh, create um, more, I guess, like uh, uniformness. So it, it helps you know who's on your team, who's not on your team. But I guess other, other, other than that, the faction thing that you mentioned, that, that's been done before. I think Guild Wars 2 does that, doesn't it? Well, that's just colors. I do think you can see... Actually, no, I don't think you can see that name. No, I don't think you see their name. They're I'm pretty sure... It's Invader. Yeah, it says something Invader, and it's like a red name or whatever. So I think that's, um, that's a big reason why I don't like it. It feels so faceless. Okay. You're just killing random people. Well, I just thought from the perspective of sort of... Uh, not defacing, but sort of removing any personality to the enemy. Because... 
it sort of reflects real life. You don't get to ask what the name of your opponent is. Exactly. That was the point I was trying to make. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, that's exactly the point I was trying to make was like, in, in real life, like if, if we approach each other, we have to like glean information and like talk to each other and, and learn about each other and actually have a conversation. In an MMO, you almost have a little bit of an innate advantage, right? Because you see their class, you see like maybe their gear, you have some level of idea who they are. It's it's important that we don't make it to where you just know everything about their character just because it's all clearly outlined for you. You know, like I don't think that should be how it is. And I know some games have that. They they make it quite clear. You can see everything about that player, like in terms of like their race, their class, their spec, their this, their that. I much prefer whenever I look at a player, I don't necessarily know what he is, but I can either ask him or I can watch him. I don't know. I just prefer that myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, well, I did also have the sort of opposite thought about it, and that was to do with um, being infamous. Because without a name, if you're going around killing everyone in PvP, if you don't have a name, they don't really have anything to associate that with. Meaning your efforts are somewhat meaningless like you don't make that reputation for yourself and that's sort of the opposite of that argument that or is in opposition to that what i mentioned uh, first that suddenly it becomes personal not impersonal yeah no that and that that's actually and a, those... a good point and that's kind of why you know eve online is the way it is let's just be honest like when conflict is a big part of your game there's going to be a lot of you know other things that come with conflict, right? There's going to be subterfuge and and spies and thieves and and hackers and all that. You know, it's it's going to be a crazy affair whenever conflict is a main focus. So I think, yeah, it kind of is an inevitable thing whenever conflict is a main focus. You just, like I said, you just look at Eve Online and just that is the game, basically. I mean, I'd prefer not to. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't blame you from a gameplay perspective, as I've mentioned many times, but. Was that yeah. was that all the the questions that you that had? Was, it was just a sort of to share some thoughts. Well, no, I appreciate it, and also I should say that um, that's something that I wish. I'd probably say that's one of my bigger um, pet peeves with MMOs. It, it sounds so silly because it doesn't seem like a big deal to many people. Name, name plates, but I really think that name plates so commonly and so like egregiously being public knowledge is not a good thing. I think that there's more interesting ways to handle it. That's just my thoughts on it. I would agree on that, to some extent at least. I mean, it does have some purpose as well. Especially with, as I mentioned, like, famous or infamous, if you see the name Nerd Slayer popping over the horizon under an over an orc, and it's like you've heard rumors of them, a great Nerd Slayer who slayed all the Alliance players in this zone, you're going to be running for the hills suddenly. You can't so much. You can't do that to the same extent if there is no name. So, I think there's value to both, to some extent. Well, yeah, and and just just to clarify, I'm not saying there shouldn't be nameplates. I'm I'm no I'm, no no, no okay. I got that. I'm just making sure because Alun just made a good point in in chat. He said that uh, um, it would be cool if your nameplate becomes more visible the higher rank you get. Maybe you become like legendarily known to your oh. enemies, 
and you become more like prevalently seen because it, like that's that's actually a really cool idea and that's that it is and it's funny like some random comment like on a fucking podcast at 12:55 p.m. my local time and it's a good idea and my point is is that if one of you guys can do it at some random time in the, in the middle of the day i'm sure some developer with money <laughs> or at least resources can figure that out <laughs> Yeah, but they also on, uh, work under the premise that uh, on the time, uh, uh, what is like at, at time scale, have certain resources. Like, I'm sure they also come up with a lot of great ideas that we never see. That's true. Actually, actually, we do see, or oh, not see, but they tell us about them, and it's just, just well, we can't implement it. <laughs> we don't have the time. We don't have the resources. We can't because of tech. I mean, Guild Wars was very much. Uh, what do you call it, victim of that. Like, they had a lot of great ideas, just couldn't really perform on them. Yeah, and I think once they figured that out, they did the right thing and the smart thing, which was just kind of changed their focus. I, don't, I never blamed them for that. I was, I, I, would always, I was always hard on Guild Wars 2, sorry, just because primarily because of what was promised. You know? And then also, yeah. I had such high expectations coming from the previous game. But anyway, yes, thanks for stopping by, Limpos. I appreciate you asking your question. My pleasure. And bringing up that discussion. Everybody thank Limpos for stopping by today. All right. Let's get to the last couple of questions here, and then let's wrap things up. I want to thank everybody for stopping by and watching the podcast. This was episode 34 of Six Pixels Under Podcast. I'm Nerdslayer NS, your host. Let's finish off these questions, and then hopefully we can have a good rest of our Monday. Which will come out first, Cyberpunk 2077 or Vampire Masquerade 2? I'm going to say Vampire Masquerade 2, just based on a f off of what I've seen, which is, you know, not scientific. <laughs> I've put less faith in E3 over the years after realizing the amount of smoke and mirrors games go through, even for gameplay demos. I'm the same way, uh, Alundris, but I the reason why I don't like E3 as much actually was going to it. Yes, I had a lot of fun. But going to the event, I completely realized it's not an event for developers and it's not really an event for uh, consumers. It's just an event for like the, the spectacle, you know, for like exhibitors, like for watchers, you know, you know, if that makes sense. Like it's 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 about being a convention nowadays. It wasn't public before. Now it's public. So it's completely changed. I feel like now that it's a public thing, E3, you know, as an event is a, is a public event. I think it's kind of changed now. The problem with it is that you think making it a public event would kind of open up the community aspects and make it feel a little bit more welcoming. But when I went, it just still felt corporate. So it's weird because it's an event and it's public, it's open to the public, but at the same time, it feels so commercial, if that makes sense. Whereas whenever I go to like Penny Arcade Expo, it doesn't feel super commercial. And because it doesn't, I think at least, um, it feels kind of just laid back. People are more chill. Developers are more willing to talk to you personally and things like that. Obi-Wan defeats him to hide Luke. Huh. That's interesting, Alanos. Thanks for that. What's your opinion on Microsoft and Sony making a streaming partnership together? I have no clue what to make of that yet. I've seen reports of that. Very, very interesting. And I've heard that even like Sony was surprised by it. Like people who worked for PlayStation, I should say, were surprised by it. So I want to see some more news about that. And I'm 
pretty much like completely undereducated on the topic, so I'm not really sure. I'll have to look more into it, though. It looks interesting, though. What do you think about the new Star Wars trilogy? Are you talking about, like, The Force Awakens and and uh, The Last Jedi and uh, what's the new one called? I, I can't even remember what the, what the newer one's supposed to be called. Uh, my opinion is kind of my opinion of the original trilogy. Uh, fun. Sorry, my, my yawning. Poorly timed. <laughs> right as I'm talking about the trilogy. Now, um, my opinion is it's good, mindless TV, great B-movies, solid action, good humor, fun, amazing visuals, and that's about it. That's kind of my opinion of the Star Wars movies in general. Uh, sorry, in general. Now, if you want my opinion of the Star Wars like universe, it's probably my favorite universe. And I would say my fa- it's my favorite universe because the amount of possibilities are pretty much endless. I mean, there's so many different types of storylines and and ideas of characters, different aliens. Um, you have, of course, Jedi's and different spectrums of the Force and how it's represented in dark side and light side. And yeah, Star Wars is just very interesting to me. But the movies, to me, I'm sorry, I just don't go. I don't go to the movies to watch a critical piece of art. I never have. I just don't really see the Star Wars movies that way. For me, they're just nothing but mindless enjoyment. Now, if if I want to have a critical look at the movies, I mean, do I even need to do that? I feel like tons of people have done that already. <laughs> people who are much better writers than I am. Thoughts on single-player games that steal ideas from MMOs? Are you kind of talking about maybe pseudo-single-player games? Like live act or sorry... Games as a service games, maybe like Dragon Age Inquisition, where it kind of had like questing regions and weird things like that from MMOs. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what my opinion is. Seems backwards, doesn't it? MMOs made content like that because they didn't really have the platform to make better content. Now single player games have the platform to make better content, and yet they're making MMO-like content. Yeah, the only thing MMO about MMOs is the massive multiplayer part. <laughs> you know, it's it's the actual community and the players. What's completely unique about us on our own right? Persistence? Eh, that's been around for a while too. So yeah, the multiplayer aspects are kind of the more unique aspects. So having quests that are based around the idea of that and then putting them in a single-player game, which is not even based on being multiplayer? I don't know. It just seems like you're going backwards. It's like, why? You know? It's like, I could drink a wine, or I could drink a beer that's been fashioned to taste like wine. I'd probably, if I drank much, I'd probably rather just drink the wine. If you play on the same servers as them, they pretty much have armies that follow them. They camp mobs, and they're the first to get anything. I see what you're saying now, HJ Smash. Thanks for the clarification. So he's talking about streamer servers. He's saying, do people like Asmongold, who are big streamers and are you know very popular on certain servers, do they kind of ruin the experience for some people? They absolutely do. As streamer servers are very much you know known as being kind of negative experiences oftentimes because they, depending on your audience can be chop full of kids and things like that. So yes, unfortunately, they can be hostile breeding grounds of toxicity, but is it necessarily the streamer's fault? I mean, 
unless they're just openly engaging in it. And if they were, they should be banned or uh, penalized. But not really. It's just an unfortunate reality that people like to kind of follow people around and give them things or annoy them or, you know what I mean? Like harass them. It just, it's, um, it's why people really want to role play PVP. Because on a roleplay PvP server, there's a certain expectation that things are going to be more so policed and people are a little bit more mature. But luckily, as uh, as uh, I think that was Limpos that said that, the good news about joining our community and our guild is that we have rules in place and we're also a mature community. So although we might not restrict the access of younger people to join... It's all about being mature. We're we're here to have fun and enjoy this game and experience together or whatever game we choose to play in the future because there's many MMOs I'm sure we will play in the future together. So if, to me, it's more about preserving that, preserving the community, preserving the experiences and making it a fun place that people go to share and discuss ideas, uh, debate against ideas, but also a place that they can meet people to play games with and, uh, and, and not really have to worry about a safe space. You know, because like, in my opinion, my community is about having your ideas challenged and being able to have that sort of more maybe nuanced discussion with people. And I wouldn't want that to be ruined by mass recruiting people into a guild and then joining some like supremely popular um, stream server. So that's kind of why I'm not really sure what server we're going to pick yet. If I have a streamer on the other side, I might pick that server. Like if I know somebody that I'm friends with or, or in, in relation to who's going to join up on Classic WoW, if they'd like to play Alliance, we might end up joining the same server just so we can make some YouTube content together. I might do something like that. But other than that, I have no desire to join like a supremely popular server just because, I mean, can you imagine how crazy it's going to be? Like, look at this Asmongold server. He's trying to do like world first and he's getting people just helping him. for. Like, can he stop them? Not really. He can't. They shouldn't ruin the experience, but just know that their servers will live and die based on their enjoyment, like Darkspear did when Swifty left. Hmm, that's a good point. I haven't heard a lot of things about Darkspear since. What is a good progression system for an MMORPG? That is such a hard question to answer. There are so many good progression systems. I would say that the best progression systems are ones that don't rely on building X amount to level. And this is kind of... Um, the, in my opinion, revolutionary idea that Raf Coster has kicked around, which is the idea of usage XP. Instead of being given XP based on how many crafting items you create, you get given a crafting experience based on how much of that item or how many of those items get used. So that item actually being used itself would level you up. So there's interesting ways to handle progression that are based on more things than just time spent, right? Um, obviously, skill could be a factor in progression. Time spent is always going to be a factor in progression, but it doesn't have to be the soul. Um, maybe ingenuity. Maybe you have to figure out a certain puzzle. And those sorts of things are kind of not really as as great for progression systems because they get figured out and gamed right away. So oftentimes I find the best progression systems are ones that are based around the game being part of the progression. And what I mean by that is that playing the game progresses you. Not just killing 60 billion go goats over and over again is going to level you. Because technically, you're playing the game. But would you do that if you chose to? Unless you're just some goat-like massacre? Probably not. You probably would want to do something else. 
So it's kind of like, does a crafter want to craft 10 belts a thousand? Or does he want to craft 10 belts and then craft a thousand belts to level? Probably not. So it's like, how do we get over the idea of having to do the same thing as the only solution? That's kind of like how you make a good progression system, in my eyes at least. It has to be more than just repeating the same thing, right? There has to be another layer to it. It has to be, has to be attached to the gameplay. The ecosystem, if you will. It's all connected, especially in multiplayer games, especially in MMOs. It has to be. That's how the world works, right? Did you know that druids used to have male armor originally? <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Druids seem like a class that have had a lot of OP aspects in them. Would be... Oh, wait, I already read that. Sorry, I'm trying to roll back to see how far I missed any questions. Any last questions, by the way, before we wrap things up? We're pretty much at the end of the podcast, so I'm just going through the last couple of questions here, and that's sort of it. It's a marketing event? Oh, E3 is? Oh, absolutely. E3 is a, is a, um, a marketing event. It's about selling the industry. So it's like, it's fun to watch. Is there cool things? Should you be hyped sometimes and all that stuff? Yeah. But there's a lot of, like, what ifs, and there's a lot of, are you, is what you're seeing really what you're getting? That's my problem with it. That's my biggest problem is am what is being or sorry, is what is being advertised to me what I'm going to be receiving. I'm not convinced anymore. Not after the dozens of gameplay trailers that hey, I've seen that thanks. are not really gameplay trailers. You got the wrong guy. I'm good at shooting people, cracking wise and pretending to know how to fight with my hands. Oh, I didn't put my, uh, sorry, my stream. <laughs> if you guys are wondering why I froze up there, it's because I was wondering. Uh, I didn't see my alert, so I got to make sure to turn that back on. You guys can hear my sounds, but you can't see my alerts, right? Can anybody in chat who's not following follow to test it out? Or uh, <clears throat> sub? <clears throat> I think it's working though. Cuz I just got a follow but it didn't pop up on my dashboard. Oh, the Razamund. Thank you for the subscription. Uh welcome to the Nor Club. Um here for a tip. I missed that. Thank you. Yeah, that was a sub sound. Sorry about that. Welcome everybody Thrazamund. Or club. Your complimentary make believe imaginary fedora is on its way in the mail now. The good news is is it's prime free one day shipping. So you should get it as soon as you wake up or go to sleep, depending on how you interpret dreams. What's the Twilight Gal poster on the background? Oh, um, so this is actually a special, a special little poster that I got. Um, this is a noir-themed uh, Zelda poster. So actually, if you look at it, 
what it says is a new Lincoln mystery. And here, that's the Triforce. Twilight Gal shows Zelda with her little, like, symboling symbols right now. Summoning symbols. Then it shows uh, her sitting on a desk, followed by 25 cents at the bottom right, then 10 books at the bottom left, and then it shows uh, Link in the back. Link's the detective, so. <laughs> it just, I saw it and I was just like, I don't know. I gotta get that. One of the, it's kind of like, you have to have a Spike Spiegel. You have to have an Ellie. Sherlock. I feel like I got some of, some of the OGs here. The OG people who dress up and look like a detective. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate your input. Look forward to playing Classic with you. Yeah, I look forward to playing with you as well. Can't wait. Just don't Make sure you don't end up on a server with a big Russian community. Well, the funny thing is, is that the Russian community typically likes me. I've played lots of MMOs with, uh, with the Ruskies. Yeah, actually, Limpos made my point for me. <laughs> he made my exact point for me, in fact. Russians are a handful, but... I like to get them on my side in, in, in different MMOs, especially full loot. They will raise your shit to the ground for no reason other than they just want to see the world burn in those games. <laughs> I know from experience. It's fun to be part of their alliance because of that. Asmongold isn't even good at WoW, to be, to be honest. Uh, he, he, he was or wasn't? Sorry, I forgot. I said that or didn't. I don't know if people necessarily watch him because he's the best, but because he has a lot of knowledge, right? And because he's entertaining, I'm assuming. I, I've only ever watched his uh, more recent WoW Classic streams. By the way, I thought of what might be a better expression for what sharding breaks. It ruins the continuity of experience rather than permanence, which better describes the lack of player effect on the environment. I, I would agree with that, Ulysses, by the way. The, like the technical term you, uh, or the, sorry, the technicality you presented, I would agree with it. What's my opinion on VR as a platform for an MMO? It so far off, but the possibilities are just fucking incredible excuse my french but i can't wait i can't wait till the tech catches up having seen the tech on the stage floor and been introduced to them by developers working on the tech at e3 in fact vr is just not there yet but it's gonna be freaking awesome when it is right in your opinion what's the cringiest video game movie I mean, it has to be either Prince of Persia. Or that Doom movie. That Doom movie was pretty horrible, too. That one, yeah, that one was pretty horrible. What are your thoughts on crowd control? Watching Asmongold's stream, I saw him rant about how he hated crowd control in PvP and that he thinks any mechanic that stops him from playing his, car or his character is garbage. Sorry, but that's a casual's opinion. <laughs> that's a casual PvPer's opinion. If there isn't CC, then there's no way to deal with massive populations. 
If there's no CC, then there's no way to deal with people who just zerg. If there's no CC, then there's no way to punish people who make inferior decisions. Right? The reason why CC is super important in an MMO is because there isn't a physics-based combat system. So there isn't real CC. And what I mean by real CC, I mean actual collision detection. Blocking somebody off would be the best form of collision, or sorry, would be the best form of CC, right? If I could literally be, create a wall that completely blocks somebody off, that's the best crowd control. Crowd control works because it's put in, you know, it's put in a game where essentially it needs crowd control. There needs to be some way of population control. There needs to be some sort of way to punish players who make bad decisions. And so it's usually based around the idea of CC. The problem is, is that in some cases, some CCs are kind of just like a one button CC. So there's not a whole lot of like skill that really goes into it, right? So say, for example, a one button retaliate or a one button counter. Mm, that skill, it's like it's debatable, right? Having a discussion of is this skill centric or is this, you know, reliable or is this even needed in a combat system? Um, that's a whole different kind of discussion. But having the discussion is if PV or if crowd control should be in a game or shouldn't be in a game because I don't want my character to not be able to, you know, I don't want to be able to not control my character. Well, sorry, but there's a lot bigger concerns than your ability to control the character. Say, for example, the balance in the game right? The flow of the game, the ability to take advantage of someone making a bad decision. A perfect example of this is if somebody trinkets out of a stun, but doesn't trinket out of a, a polymorph. Big difference, right? Huge difference. Now imagine you could never get stunned. Or you can never get polyed. Or you can never get any of those things. You know, it's like, I don't know. I, I, he probably was just joking. Just like frustrated. <laughs> Thanks, Thrasimund. I appreciate that. And not to mention, that's a good point. Uh, Alundris also uh, added a good point to that. That's if if you're a CC, sorry, if you're a melee cl uh, melee class in a game, you're always going to hate CC. <laughs> you're always slow, you name it. But that's the beauty of open world PvP, guys. Open world PvP is about using all of the different class weapons, not just one, not just two. It's using all of them. Can we get someone with a shaman so they can use their uh, a totem here can we get a blizzard uh, a group of blizzard mages who are just running around spamming blizzard to slow people down can we get a group that's focusing on healing can we get you know a group that's focusing on, like that sort of stuff happens in open world pvp and that's what makes it exciting really is all of the different forms of cc and different abilities and all the different classes and that sort of stuff People watch it because he pretends to be retarded. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> He's a little too hyperbolic. I feel like it's hard not to be hyperbolic whenever you're uh, a really prominent content creator. Like a streamer, I should say. Because everybody's watching you. So you just... One, one calm, innocent... This is over the top. Next thing you know, everybody's parodying it as like a real belief. So it, it is kind of like hard to be a content creator. You see it a lot with like Zero and, and Smash. Are you saying PvP has more than two people? All right, so we've reached the end of the podcast. I've I've reached the point to where 
Looks like the questions have just about dried up and it looks like everybody's going back to their lunch break. So I want to thank everybody once again for uh, for dropping by and joining me on this episode 34 of the podcast. We talked about um, the Epic Store Wars. We talked about Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines and Borderlands being pulled from the Epic Store briefly. We talked about the WoW Classic launch, what it means, you know, possible concerns, you know, problems and all of that sort of stuff. We talked a lot about just MMOs in general. From the Vault section, we highlighted Worm Online, which, of course, as I mentioned, was a sandbox game that came out in 2006. The game is still playable, so if you'd like to try out any of that terraforming, any of that sort of stuff, if that interests you, maybe we should do a community stream sometime and build our own town or something fun like that. That'd be something fun to do for sure, and something that's very, very possible in this game as uh, innovative and uh, experimental as Worm Online was by those guys, by those two dudes from uh, Sweden, huh? They can make a crazy, uh, innovative MMO with a fraction of the budget and and none of the resources that these other guys have. Anyway, I just want to say goodbye and thank you all for your support. As always, um, as I mentioned, the Asheron's Call video should be coming out by the end of next week. The Kickstarter video is actually in current production right now. Tom is already working on it, my editor. So that should also uh, be coming out as well. So those those are two videos in the works right now already. I'm currently working on a WoW video that I want to put out. I'm going to put out a series of WoW videos, of course, in the next couple of months since WoW Classic is on the horizon. And I'm hoping that you guys will enjoy my coverage on it because I'm trying to make it, uh, you know, as as me as possible. I know that's what you guys want. So anyway, said goodbye. About that time, I'm not going to let you guys get me caught in any more rants. One last Fedora tip for those who sub today and those who followed and those who stopped by to watch. Thank you for the support and thank you detectives.